0: Okay, so we 're in John chapter Ten tonight, finishing out John chapter Ten. So if you want to open up your Bibles or if you have your phones, you can uh, go to the u version Bible app and uh, and open up John chapter Ten and do that. Uh, a lot of people are using the u version app for their Bible reading and you 're doing a good job. Keep it up. love seeing all the comments there and the thoughts people have about the Bible reading each week and and it's fun to be doing that together. Well, so uh, I grew up in Southeast Ohio, and it's somewhat similar to probably living in Battleground. It's probably more similar to living out in north part, the north part of the county. Uh, maybe Yakult would be a little bit more similar to how I grew up, although our town was just a little bit bigger. Um, we grew up in, in Appalachia, Appalachian hills, and. Um, it was a, a, a very different part of the world. If you're not familiar with it, um, there's there's a very unique culture in southeastern Ohio and Kentucky and West Virginia uh, that doesn't really exist in a lot of other places. It is one of the one of the groups, the people groups, that it is still politically correct to make fun of. So we're still in that safe category. You're allowed to make make jokes about Appalachian people like myself. Um, but there's there's a lot of fun things that happen in in that part of the country. You can drive down. We used to joke on the road from our house to church, and you can see almost all of um, Jeff Foxworthy's. You might be a redneck if you could see all of those on the way on the way to church. Almost all of them, not quite, but if you drove around long enough, you would see them. They're probably all come from that part of the country where he. Found his material and his jokes. They're all almost all real, real things that happened. But there were some interesting characters there. We had some guys that that had some unique phrases. Like when I would play a piano solo at church, this guy one Sunday he came up to me and he said, "You were all over the piano like a pack of wild dogs on a three-legged cat." And I never I always wanted to get a list of all the sayings that he had, and I still haven 't gotten that. I need to get it because those would be good to uh, to just work in the conversation but there was this other guy, his name was Mike Walter, and he he uh, he was very unique. He was a truck driver, he drove big rigs and still drives big rig trucks um, and and he had a couple of other pickup trucks he had a Ford F350 diesel truck and you know this great big great big oversized thing that he still has he had it when i was there in the 90s and he still has it today cuz he bought it bought a diesel and it's got over a million miles on it and he's going to keep driving it because that's why people most people buy diesels that's why you're supposed to buy diesel a lot of people buy diesels that don't need diesels but he also had this little Ford Ranger that he would drive once in a while and it was really beat up it had been rolled several times all of the corners all of the fenders were banged in and busted in and uh, he had some stories related to that like one time uh, he was he and his family were uh, were hungry they were their freezer was empty they didn't have any meat in their freezer and it wasn't hunting season so he couldn't go hunting to catch, you know, to catch the meat that they needed. But in Ohio, there's a law that if you, know, you hit something, you can, you can save you can save the animal, you can eat the animal, you can harvest the animal that you kill with your truck. So he's driving down the road, and there's thousands and millions of deer in, in southeast Ohio. And he sees the deer, so he just whips the truck off the road, chases the deer, the deer down, kills it, and then harvests it, and their family has meat until the next hunting season. And that is a true story. But it's hard to believe that somebody would actually kind of do something that crazy, right? It's like, who would do something like that? I know I, know I wouldn't do anything like that. I wouldn't want to, to deal with that mess. But you know, when you've got a truck that you don't care about, then I guess it's okay. But there are, there are some things that are just really hard to believe when you hear them. What's something that's really hard for you to believe? What's something that's happened in your life or something that's happened in the world that's hard for you to believe? Mhm. Yeah, people can be really unkind. And it's hard to believe that we treat one another that way. What else? What else is hard for you to believe? Maybe something like that, like Timberley, something that's happening, going on in the world, or a story, or... It was hard for me to be believe when they took prayers out of school. Okay. Where they actually suspended kids, or trained, or their food. It was really hard for me to swallow. Yeah. Yeah. What else? We're trying to cut back our sugar, especially for me, and uh, we watched this movie on, I think it was Amazon, called That Sugar Film, is what it's called. You should watch it, and you'll really think differently about how much sugar is in our food. Not even just the sugary foods, but sugar is in all of our foods, like pasta and things like that. They started adding sugar to sauces and ketchup and all this stuff to make it more desirable to eat. So, it's interesting. Yeah, it's either Netflix or Amazon Prime. I'm not sure where it is, but it's out there. I thought someone had their hand up over here. No. <laughs> That's hard for me to believe, too, because, like, it's not that good. It's not good enough for it to be a big deal, but it is. Well, I, was, I looked up some things that people have a hard time believing, and there's a whole list of them. The top four uh, things that people have a hard time believing are the Apollo 11 moon landings, people, people believe that we didn't go to the moon, people have a hard time believing that JFK was assassinated, or all of a lot of details in that story that people don't believe course, the real popular one, people don't believe that Elvis is dead. If you watch the Men in Black movies, you know that he's not dead. He just went to his home planet. A lot of people believe that that 9-11 was a government plot. A lot of people believe that the Holocaust never happened. So we have all of these things in the world where a lot of people are looking at historical events that have evidence and documented proof that they happened and, and that they're even still survivors from to see that they happened, and people are trying to claim that they didn't happen. This last week, Vladimir Putin gave a state-of-the-nation speech. Did anyone hear about this? So he gave a state-of-the-nation speech, and he's blaming the West for the war in Ukraine. So it's all our fault, it's all West, the Western Hemisphere's fault, Every, everything that's going bad in Ukraine is all the fault of America and, and uh, Western Europe. In fact, throughout the war, people inside of Russia, as well as many in China, have been re- receiving entirely different news about the war than the whole rest of the world have been receiving. So there's one narrative that's going on in, in Russia and China where they're talking about you know, the war in one way, and most of that has to do with Ukraine being the aggressor. And then there's the whole rest of the world that has what we believe to be the truth, at least what I believe to be the truth, that Russia is the, the aggressor and Ukraine is the victim, and they're fighting for their very existence. But it's interesting, right? Because we live in a world where there's there are a lot of things that are that are being thrown out, thrown out and we have a hard time knowing what to believe. How do we know what to believe? How can we how can we really know something is true? So, it's it's important to wrestle with this idea of believing, believing in something. Well, it's been a long time since we started into the book of John. I want to see if anyone remembers, what is the primary theme of the book of John? What is his major emphasis? Did you say something? Sharon, did you say something? Okay, I thought you said something. It's one word. I've used it a lot already belief yeah <laughs> belief is john's primary point that he's trying to to emphasize and drill home in fact he uses the word belief or believe 83 times in this in this account of Jesus's life so this is a really big deal to john he's talking about believing in Jesus and at the very beginning of john john chapter 1 verse 12 John, in his commentary setting up the story, he said, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So to everyone who not only received Jesus, but believes in his name, we have the right to become children of god and one of the uh, another series I hope to do this year was we're going to go through Romans chapter 8 and just take our time and really dig into the depth of of teaching that's in Romans chapter 8 but we become children of god and Romans 8 says we become co-heirs with Christ we're brothers and sisters of Christ and it says in there that that God did that on purpose so that Jesus would be the firstborn among among many descendants or among many siblings. And so Jesus is the firstborn, how Paul lays it out, it's like he's our big brother, he's the oldest brother, and then we are all children that come after Jesus, born into God's family when we believe in his name. So we're going to talk a little bit more about belief. In fact, this idea of belief is, is coming to a climax, and Jesus is starting to set up that climax here at the end of John chapter 10, and it's going to peak next week when we get into John chapter 11. So this is a very important part of the story as we're approaching John 12 where we start to get into the night before Jesus was crucified and Jesus' great big teaching there, which we'll cover at a later date. But we're about to get to this point of no return. Everything has been escalating. Jesus has been working miracles, and as he works miracles, a lot of people come and follow him. And then, and then he'll make a big, strong teaching like he did in John chapter 6. And a lot of the people who were following him question everything that he's been saying and turn back. But then from John chapter 6 now to this point... We again have had a lot of people that have started to follow Jesus. But at the same time, as Jesus' popularity is starting to increase again, also the opposition to Jesus is starting to increase. And so we have this true peak that's starting to form in the story of Jesus where, where people are starting to believe. And in just a couple. Of weeks, we'll get to this moment when people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Where thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people are participating in this moment of Jesus riding into town, and at the same time, we have this escalation of unbelief and people who do not like Jesus and they want him gone. And that's what's happening here as we get to John chapter 10, verse 22. Then came the Festival of Dedication at Jerusalem. Does anyone know what the Festival of Dedication is? This is winter. And that's one of the reasons that detail is mentioned so we know what time of year it is. It's Hanukkah. So it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the Festival of Lights that, that they're talking about. So this is Hanukkah in Jerusalem, so it's winter, and Jesus is in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. Not entirely sure why that detail is included other than to just let us know that Jesus is on the east side of the temple when he's giving this, when he's having this encounter. The Jews who were gathered around him were saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. So you can imagine the scene, they're sitting outside the temple and it's winter time and it's probably dark and they've probably got candles going all over the place. The menorah and lights are going all over the place as they've been lighting candles for the festival of dedication. And, And here they are, they're asking Jesus these questions about who he is. Tell us who you are. If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you. are one Again his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him Now remember when we're talking about stoning it wasn't just like a pebble or a little rock you know these were big stones great big rocks that that people had to, had to go find and haul, because when you're stoning somebody, you're trying to kill them with the stone. And a lot of times they would go up to a roof and drop the stones off down from the roof onto the person trying to kill the stone. So, so they're not just you know, reaching down into the dirt and grabbing a few rocks. They're actually intentionally going to find these big stones with which they were going to stone Jesus. <laughs> Good job. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came... And Scripture cannot be set aside. What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said, I am God's Son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. That you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. And there he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. So remember last week we're talking about Jesus being the good shepherd, right? And we spent a lot of time talking about the sheepfold and, and how Jesus was the gate and he was sitting in the gate and the entrance to the fold protecting the sheep, keeping the, keeping the wolves and the thieves and the robbers out and keeping the sheep in on the inside and especially at nighttime. And this is happening at the darkest time of year when he's talking about being the good shepherd and being the gate for the sheep. So there's a lot of oppressive darkness over over the land at this point in time, with which Jesus can illustrate his point. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. And we get a, re- a recap of that here in verse 26, where Jesus is now talking to these people, these Jewish opponents or Jewish leaders who are fighting against Jesus. And now he's going to make it clear that all of that illustration and metaphor that we talked about last week is directed at somebody. And he's talking to those leaders and he says, you did not believe because you are not my sheep. You do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So, Jesus' opponents are not his sheep. They're not in his sheepfold. He's not protecting them. They're opposed to him. How do we know this? We know this because of three things that Jesus says. He says, you're not my sheep because, one, you don't listen to my voice. Two, Jesus doesn't know them. And three, they don't follow Jesus. Why is that important? Well, I think it's important for us as we look at, at, at the way that we are following Jesus that we understand if we are a part of Jesus' sheepfold, or if we're in the flock, so to speak, then there are three criteria that need to be actively a part of our lives. We need to listen to his voice. We need to be known by the Father, known by Jesus, and we need to follow him. That's how we know we are a part of, of, the, of the flock of God, that we're a part of his kingdom, and we're in the fold, and we're protected. We listen to his voice. He knows us, which means we share with him, even though he knows everything, to have a good relationship, right? You have to share details about your life. So we share with the Father so that the Father may know us, so that we may establish this relationship between us and the Father, which is what Jesus came and died and rose from the dead to to establish this opportunity. So we listen to his voice, and we are known by the Father, and we follow Jesus. That means we go where Jesus tells us to go. Consequently, when we, when we don't see those in our lives or someone else's life, then we, are, we know something is off. Either this person is not a part of God's flock, or they are, they are choosing, for some reason, not to follow or not to listen or not to be known right now. And we, we should pay attention to that. So Jesus is the good shepherd, and he makes, makes it clear what he's talking about. Then he goes into this phrase, verse 28. It says, I give them eternal life. Them as the sheep. I give the sheep eternal life. Remember, he talked about life last week and he talked about abundant life. I've come that you might have life and have it to the I'm lacking nothing, not not having that feeling anymore that something is missing But now we have the life of Christ, the life that God always intended for us to have And we are satisfied, we are content in the life of God Jesus says, I give them that life, I give them this eternal life And they shall never perish No one will snatch them out of my hand My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This should give us a great sense of security in our faith and in our belief and in our trust with God that that there is no one... There's no power, there is no force, there is nothing in all of existence, throughout all of creation, throughout all of the universe that has the ability to snatch us out of the Father's hand. There is no thief, there is no robber, there is no wolf, there is no villain that has the ability to come into the sheepfold and take us out of the flock of God. We are are entirely and eternally protected by the Son and by the Father, and because the Son and the Father are one, we have the protection of the eternal God keeping us safe in the flock and in the fold of God. That is a great truth that Jesus teaches right there. We, as being a part of, one of being one of Jesus' sheep, we have the protection, the care, and the cover of the most powerful being in all existence. And then they try to stone him, and he's saying, why are you stoning me? Then here in verse 34, there's something that we need to pay a little bit of attention to and just try to draw out. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Now there's a lot of debate about this passage. There's a lot of debate about what Jesus means when he's quoting this verse that says, I have said you are gods. What is, God, what is Jesus trying to communicate? Some, there's debates about the kind of argument Jesus is making. But I think if you just look at it in context and lay it out line by line, you can see pretty clearly what's happening. So this is called, I believe, uh, from one commentator, he said this is, the, this is called a call, Q-A-L, Valhomer, V-A-L-H-O-M-E-R, argument. So Jesus is making a call Valhomer argument, which for us who don't speak whatever language that's written in, means how much more. It's a how much more kind of an argument. And we use this all the time. We talk, we'll say something about how much more. If this is true, then how much more is this true, right? So that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, if this is true, then how much more is this true? He starts by saying, is it not written in your law? The law for these, for these opponents of Jesus was the most important thing. This was, the, this was the pinnacle of their life, was the law. So it's written in their law, the thing that they believe is the most important thing, this phrase that comes from Psalm 82, verse 6, it says, I, have, I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Son Most High, but you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. So Jesus is quoting the law, quoting from the Psalms, and it says, I have said, you are gods. He's quoting from their supreme authority, and this verse that says, I've said, you are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, again, referencing the law, the word of God, and scripture cannot be set aside, again, talking about the law, how important the law is. If whoever this is that that, that he's saying, I have said you are gods, if that's true, then how much more true is it about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Basically, it seems like Jesus is saying, if God said that you are gods, talking about this human, this fallen, fallen human group or people, whoever that is, And there's debate about who that's referencing, so we're not going to get into that right now. But if that's a true statement, then how much more true is it that Jesus is God? And so he says, why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Now, it may seem weird for them to to say, well, this is blasphemy. You're claiming to be God because he never says that I am God. But in this day and age, if you're saying you are someone's son, you're saying you are equal to that person. So Jesus, saying that he is God's son, is saying that he's equal to God, making himself God. So he's saying that he's God, and, and they're having a problem with that, and that's why they're trying to stone him. So how much more? It's a, it's a really, really important argument that Jesus makes even though we're not quite sure the details of it. And then here, at verse 40, after they tried to seize him again after that argument, they, it says, Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days, and there he stayed. And many people came to him. They said, Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place... Many believed in Jesus. What do you do when the people you were sent to reach won't listen? What do you do when the people that you feel called to go after and feel, feel called to share this message of hope with just flat out refuse to listen to your message? Well, at least for a season, Jesus went somewhere else. Because we see he went on the other side of the Jordan. He left town... He goes outside into the wilderness, or probably the wilderness, or at least out in this area where the Essenes probably lived, where John the Baptist lived, and there are all these people that John baptized out there. And he goes out there and preaches to them, and many of them believe in Jesus. Many believed in Jesus. There might be times in our lives where we feel called to bring to bring the good news, to bring kindness, to bring light and life and hope and love to a specific group of people, but they just won't listen, they won't hear, they won't receive it for whatever reason. But that doesn't mean we stop there and we just stop being the light that we're supposed to be. Sometimes it means maybe there needs to be a season where we go to the other side of the Jordan and share it with people who are ready to receive Well, here we now, we're in this story, and you have to put yourself in the situation of being one of these opponents. They've witnessed with their own eyes, most of them, Jesus healing people. Maybe many of them witnessed with their own eyes Jesus feeding the five, the 15,000, the 20,000 people from a few loaves and fish. And maybe they witnessed Jesus do it again with another few loaves and fish and feeding thousands of people. And maybe they've heard the stories of Jesus walking on the water and maybe they were nearby and they could see the pigs floating in the lake when Jesus sent the demons into the pigs. And and they've probably witnessed and seen and heard all of the commotion, all the things that are happening firsthand about Jesus. And he's been doing all of these signs that testify about him being the Messiah. And then at the same same time he's also said that he's the Messiah although he doesn't just go around with like with a t-shirt on that says I am the Messiah you've been looking for he's not he's not being just blatant about it but there are a few times in the book of John where we see that Jesus says he is the Messiah or that he is the one that was sent for instance, with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, verse 25 and 26. The Samaritan woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who's called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So there's at least one blatant statement that Jesus says he is the one that they've been waiting for. And then there are times when he says, I am calling himself Yahweh, and here in this passage, he's making himself equal with God. And they ask this question at the beginning. How long will you keep us in suspense? Tell us if you're the Messiah. And Jesus makes this argument, this, uh, this how much more argument, right? But how much more could they possibly need? if you think about how much more could they really need to actually believe that Jesus is the Messiah? I mean, how much more would he have to do? How much more would he have to show them for them to ever get to the point where they believe? How much evidence would Jesus have to give about himself being the Messiah, the promised one that they've been waiting for? How much more do they need? Now, in their defense, for many of them, After the resurrection and the eyewitness accounts and and testimonies about the resurrection and testimonies about Jesus ascending into heaven, and the people who saw that, a lot of these unbelievers become believers. Not all of them, but a lot of them do. Because they eventually have enough evidence, they have enough proof. But for this group of people, and Jesus is saying, How much more do you need? How much evidence do you need to believe? At the end of John, in chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus told Thomas, who did not believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, and he said, I will not believe until I put my fingers where the scars are, until I can touch where the nails pierced his hands and his feet, and put my hand in his side. That's when I'll believe. Then Jesus appears to the disciples, and and Thomas is able to do just that. And he believes, he believes that he is the one that he's been saying that he is. And then Jesus makes this statement, he says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet have believed. You, Thomas, you believe because you saw me, because you saw my scars and you touched my scars, but but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So here we are right in the middle of this belief argument that John is making. And we have to ask ourselves, are are we a part of the sheep who believe, who are in the fold and protected, or are we finding ourselves still questioning whether or not Jesus is who he says he is do we really believe are are we really believing that that Jesus is the messiah the one who is promised and are we listening to his voice are we known by him do we know him and are we following him as he leads us or are we refusing to follow are we refusing to submit to Him as the shepherd, the good shepherd that cares for us and wanting to go our own way. Do we really believe? And if this whole thing is about belief, then we have to know what belief actually is because our society uses the word in an entirely different way. We'll say, well, I believe about a lot of things or I just believe, I just believe that this is true or I believe this isn't true or i believe i believe we landed on the moon and or i just i don't believe that we landed on the moon and the way we use that phrase the way we we think about the word belief just means intellectual agreement if we believe that the that the apollo 11 landed on the moon then we say i believe that and it just means that i actually I actually believe that happened. I intellectually believe that happened. If we say, I don't believe it ever happened, or I don't believe it happened when they say it happened, it just happened later, then we're saying, I don't believe, I don't agree that that happened. That's how we use the word believe, but biblically the word belief is something different. It's not just believing in your mind that something is true. It's believing... In such a way that you reorder your entire life around it. When you believe in Jesus, when you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you reorder your entire life around Jesus. You follow him, you you do what he says to do, you listen to his voice, you know him, and you are known by him. Someone's calling again, we're going to get another message. You want to pick that up and answer it, Henry, just in case somebody's trying to contact somebody who's here. Just say 6-8-CHURCH. <laughs> Are they looking for somebody? You have a pencil. Ask for her number, and I can call her back later. Okay. <laughs> so, what is belief? Belief is where you completely reorder your entire life around something. For instance, a lot of people have iPhones. A lot of people have Samsungs. We have iPhones. I don't happen to believe that iPhone is the best smartphone. I don't, think they're, I don't think they're as good as they used to be, but a lot of people believe Apple products are the best products that exist in the world, and, and they will use only Apple products. We use Apple products here, but I don't believe they're the best products. I think they have flaws just like every other computer. But if you believe that an iPhone is the best smartphone, but you only ever use Samsung or Google or some other brand, do you really believe that iPhones are the best iPhones or best smartphones? You probably don't, unless you just can't afford it. Or if you believe that Chevys are better than Fords, but you drive a Ford, there's something wrong with what you say you believe. Or if you believe that winter is better than summer, but you spend your winters down in Arizona to avoid actual winter, then you don't really believe that winter is better than summer. You might just like this idea, but it's not Really true. You don't really believe it because you aren't changing the way you live your life. When when you believe something is a problem, then you do something about it, right? Like with sugar. When we're talking about sugar, if sugar is a problem, and you believe that sugar is a problem, and you're eating too much sugar, but we don't ever stop eating too much sugar, then we don't really believe, or or we're not. We don't believe enough to make a change. How I how I live my life demonstrates. What I actually believe That doesn't mean there aren't things going on in my life That that make it hard for me to want to live my life In accordance with what I believe But, But at some point along the way Some point we come to a crossroads And we have to decide Am I going to live according to what I believe Or am I going to believe according to what I live We have to make an adjustment somewhere If I'm going to live according to what I believe, then how I live my life has to change in accordance with my beliefs. Or, I'm going to believe according to how I live, and I'm just going to live my life and I'm going to change my beliefs to match how I live. But how we live demonstrates what we actually believe. We can see this in this story, because the Jewish opponents did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and we know that because they're saying, you're... If you are the Messiah, tell us, because we don't believe that you are. And then when he says things that confirm that he is who he says he is, they pick up stones to stone him. They don't actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is. So their actions don't line up with that kind of belief. We live in a time when belief is getting harder. It's getting hard to believe in and things that, that have been just beaten down. And Christianity is one of those things that has just been, been beaten and beaten and beaten for a long time. It's an opponent to so many things. So many people have come after it. No one has succeeded in tearing it down. No one has succeeded in proving it to be false in any way, shape, or form. No one has ever been able to to prove that Jesus did not live. In fact, there's overwhelming evidence that he did. And even secular scholars and scientists have to admit that Jesus did come and he lived on this life. And where where they come into question is whether or not Jesus rose from the dead because the evidence points to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. It's just, do you believe that he rose from the dead? Or do you believe there's some other cover-up going on? But it's getting harder and harder to believe. It's getting harder to believe a lot of things in our time because there's just so much information and so much misinformation out there that it gets really hard to believe and to know what we can believe. But if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came and he died on the cross in our place, he took the, the punishment we deserve to receive for our sins because we rebelled against God. Jesus didn't rebel, but he stood in our place and, and took what we deserved. If we believe that, if we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that he, that he conquered death and all that death has to, to throw our way in the world as we live it, If he conquered that, if he ascended and now he lives at the right hand of the Father where he's interceding for us against all of the attacks of the evil one. If we believe that to be true, then it has to change the way we live our lives. We have to ask the question, does my life demonstrate my belief in Jesus? Another way to ask that would be, if someone were to look at your life not knowing what you believed, What conclusion would they come to? If someone were to just observe your life over the course of the last week, not knowing you and not knowing what you believed, what conclusion would they come to about your belief? Would they say that you put your faith in Jesus and you live as a follower of Jesus and you're part of his flock and you know that? Or would they say that your faith is in something else? Would they say your belief is in something entirely different? And it's important that we wrestle with that this week as we head into the next couple of weeks because belief in Jesus is going to become very important. And as far as the story goes, it's going to become much more difficult to maintain that belief in Jesus when he's hanging on a cross and being ostracized by the world. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you that you sent someone Who who is you? Someone who is equally God. Someone who is the Messiah. The Son of God did come and walk on this earth. He did come and die on the cross. He did come and live a perfect, sinless life. He fulfilled the prophecies that were made about the Messiah. And he settled the war that humanity was in between our own desire, our own will, and our own flesh against you. And that's been put, a, put to peace for all who believe. We thank you for these truths. I pray, Father, that as we wrap up here in a few minutes, if there's any part of our life where we're living as though we don't believe any part of our life where there would be visible, tangible evidence that our belief is in something else besides you, that you would make that clear to us tonight, that you would help us as we leave this place to leave and live our lives in accordance with the truth, the truth that Jesus is life and he gives us that life so that we may live the life of Christ in front of others that they may be drawn to him. Remind us of that not only intellectually but deepen our hearts so that we may live that way this week in Jesus' name. Amen.